Amen. Well, this morning, we are, we're continuing on in our forward series. Uh, this, this week is, uh, I don't know, like week 13. I don't know. I've, I've lost track. But we're in chapter, we're in chapter Nehemiah chapter 9. Uh, next week will be our last Sunday in, uh, in Nehemiah. We'll wrap it all up uh, next week. But today, as I was uh, preparing for the message, um, there was just all sorts of things that were standing out. Um, but I just kept on coming back to the same question over and over again. And how many of you know that even if you don't necessarily want to ask a question, when it keeps on coming back to your mind, uh, you eventually have to get there, don't you? you know, God, God brings stuff out of, how many of you have ever read the, ver, read, a Bible, read the same verse in the Bible multiple times, and then like the 900th time you read it, you're like, I never read that before. That's the first time. You know, actually, there's a theological term for that. It's called the illumination. It's actually the process of the Holy Spirit revealing different depths of the Word of God to you. And I believe that happens. And so as I was preparing for the message this week, um, God just kept on bringing the same question uh, back to me. And here was the the question. Here was the question that that came to me as we were preparing in in chapter 9. It's how do we stray from God? How do we stray from God? From God. Nehemiah chapter 9 is such an interesting chapter. You remember in chapter 8, they, they were reading the word of the law, the, 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 the word of the law, and people were, uh, they were mourning. They were sorrowful for um, recognizing how far away from God they were. And we, we said last week, how, do, how does the moon shine at night? It reflects the sun. And so that's why uh, Ezra told them, this is the Lord's day. Rejoice! Rejoice! Who's writing our story? God is writing our story, and we rejoice. But Nehemiah 9 is the second half of that experience. And here's, here's such an interesting uh, portion of Scripture. As we, we'll read it today. I haven't actually gone through and read a whole chapter uh, for Nehemiah for, to the, on a Sunday morning for a while. We've been picking up pieces here and there. But I think Nehemiah chapter 9 answers this question. How do we stray from God? How do we stray from God? Have you ever watched somebody that walked away from God? Somebody that was dynamic in ministry or somebody that, somebody that was a, a solid Christian. Maybe you know a family member. Maybe you know a friend that they grew up with you in church. They went to church with you. They went to church more often than you. And now they're not here. Not necessarily, not just at Calvary. Maybe they're not at church at all. I remember as a teenager uh, working with a very well-known evangelist that um, about two years after he came through our church, he said, you know what, I'm done. Burned out, walked away from God, and hasn't looked back. That's been 23 years ago. How does that happen? Somebody that experiences the dynamic presence and power and authority and miraculous touches of God walks away completely. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you've had moments where you've considered that. You're just like, I'm done. I don't get it. I see all the bad things in the world. I see all the trouble in this world, and I just can't do it. If this is what God lets happen, Why would I continue to serve him? We all come to that point sometimes. But the reality is, God is faithful. 
God is faithful. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 9. And I want you to hear Nehemiah chapter 9 because Nehemiah chapter 9 tells the story of Israel. Tells the story of the people of God. It says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their foreheads. Those of Israelite descendant, a descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their place and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter of the day in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshu, Benai, Camil, Sebahai, Buni, Serabeth, Benai, and Kani. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessings and praises. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Gerashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard the cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depth like a stone into the mighty rivers. By day, you led them with a pillar of cloud. And by night, with a pillar of fire, you get to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. They did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. 
By day, the pillar of the cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. You, they took over the, the country of Sihan, the king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land that you told as the, you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hand along with their kings and the people of the land to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile lands. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their back on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed and cried out to you, from heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemy so that, they, so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard them from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances of which you said the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their back on you and became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention, so you gave them into the hands of the neighboring people. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome, who kept his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or your statutes. You warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundance harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies our cattle as they please, we are in great distress. The people of Israel heard this read, and they were in 
mourning. The sackcloth, the reason they had sackcloth is because they were in mourning. And as I read this, the question was, why do we, how do we stray from God? And I think the story of Israel is an example of how we stray from God. What did it keep on saying? People got settled in. They got rested in. And what did they do? They ignored the precepts, the rules, the, the warnings of God. They ignored them. Why? They got comfortable. They sat back and said, hey, here we are. We're doing pretty good. And the phrase that they kept on using is stiff-necked people, stubborn. I don't, I don't know about you. Um, has anyone ever described you as stubborn? I have been described as stubborn more than once. Uh, I, I, I want to do what I want to do, don't I? You want to do what you want to do, don't you? So when we look at this, it's the story of Israel, isn't it? Again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so that's, I mean, the whole book of Judges, that's the theme. Again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. He raised up a judge to deliver them. Over and over and over again, over and over and over again. How many times did God have to deliver Israel? Over and over and over again. And we think God has a bunch of rules for people, and so he's an oppressive God. But when we read this, does God come across as oppressive? Who's God? God's our deliverer. Who gets in trouble? We do. We are the ones that drive ourselves to it. We get in trouble on our own. Why? Because we choose to ignore God. Think of all of those examples that the people of Israel gave of where God had delivered them. And what happened just a generation later? They forgot them. Forgot them. You would think every Israelite that crossed the Red Sea would testify of God's great mercy, his miraculous power, his amazing deliverance. But just after that deliverance happens, what do people do? Well, thanks, God. I'm good over here now. Here is a principle I want us to remember. This is, a, this is the, the, one of my favorite attributes of God. It's the immutable God. The immutable God. Do you know what that means? It means the unchanging God. God. God is unchanging. So when we read Nehemiah chapter 9, the God that repeatedly delivered Israel is the same God that we serve today. It's the same God, he is the same God that will deliver you today. The God of Israel is the God of this world, is the God that we serve, is the God that will say, I know, my son and my daughter, that you have messed up for the 300th time, but I still love you. I will still make a way for you. I will still deliver you. That's an encouraging word, isn't it? Because if you read Nehemiah chapter 9, with your own life in mind, 
think of the deliverance that God has done in your life and will continue to do in your life if you make space for him. This was always a, a question of mine as a, as a pastor. is when, when, when you feel as though you are far from God, who moved? Who moved? When you feel as though you are far from God, who moved? Was it God or was it you? That's a fact of life that we, that we face so often. We feel, God, God, I'm, I feel so far from you, so separated from you. God is always there. Every time the people of Israel called on God to deliver them, what did he do? He delivered them. Every time we call on the name of the Lord, who hears us? The Lord. The Lord hears us. Jesus is there. Man, now that doesn't mean we should just go ahead and go do whatever we want, right? But it does mean that in the moments that we find ourselves away from God, that we have strayed from his plan for our life, that we have strayed from where he's called us, guess what? We can call on the name of the Lord and he will deliver us. Yeah, as I was preparing for this this morning, I thought of two different parables. And we're not going to read them this morning. But the, the, the parables that Jesus used were to teach a spiritual lesson. And, and the first one that I, I came to was the prodigal son. You know, we're, we're familiar with the prodigal son. The, the younger son comes to his father and says, Father, I want my inheritance now. Realizing that uh, when you say that to your father when he's still alive, basically what you're saying is, I wish you were dead. That's what, that's what it meant when he said, I want my inheritance now. He's saying, I wish you were dead. And he went off and sowed his wild oats, and then he spent all the money and realized, there's servants in my father's house that are doing better than I am. Here I am feeding pigs. And so I'll go back and ask my father if I can be a servant in his house. And when he came back, what did his father do? His father rejoiced, put on his best robe, gave him his ring. Put, he threw a party in favor of his son because his son was dead and lost and died. But he came back and the father welcomed him with open arms. And his brother, what did his brother do? His brother got bitter. His brother got upset. His brother said, I never left you. I never strayed from you. I always stayed here. The calf that was slaughtered probably, well, actually not even probably since the younger son had taken his inheritance, that calf really belonged to the older brother because that was part of his inheritance. But he wasn't willing to give it up. He wasn't willing to accept his younger brother back into the fold. Really, the parable in Tim Keller uh, is the one that first, uh, it's, it's a brilliant teaching on the prodigal son. It's really, the parable should be called the tale of the two lost sons. Because the second son never left home, but wasn't willing to forgive. The father in the parable shows us the heart of God. The father in the parable shows us the heart of God. He shows us that God is willing and ready to accept us back. But oftentimes, we in the church aren't ready. We're not ready. I'm not ready to forgive you yet. What if Jesus said that to you? 
Well, we're in trouble, aren't we? What's the heart of our Father? That we forgive. But too often, we give lip service to what God wants for us. We look at it and we give, we give lip service versus genuine heart change. The other parable that, that jumped into my mind uh, as we were preparing for this was the, the parable of the two sons. And I do want to read this one to you. It's in Matthew chapter 21. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. Jesus is talking. He says, what do you think? Starting in verse 28. says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Really, the question, when I, when I look at these two parables, the parables of the prodigal son and of the two sons, here was the question. Why do we stray from God? Do we stray from God from willful disobedience? Is it willful disobedience or in Attentive drift. Have you ever been driving late at night and all of a sudden you hit rumble strips? Rumble strips. And you wake up. Well, I'm not supposed to be over here. Were you paying attention? No. No. Maybe you saw on the news this week, uh, Saturday actually, they found, the, um, they found the USS Indianapolis. The USS Indianapolis, if you're not familiar with that, uh, the US Indianapolis, USS Indianapolis delivered the atomic bomb uh, to be dropped on Japan. Um, but the, the, the mission was so secret um, that it was radio silence. There was no communication. Uh, they didn't uh, tell what was going on, where they're going. The crew itself didn't even know what they were doing. And on their way back from delivering the atomic bomb, they were, um, they were hit by a torpedo from a Japanese sub. There were over 1,100 individuals on that on that ship, and uh, 900 went into the water. 900 went into the water. But again, there was no distress signal. 900 men went into the water. Only 317 came out. They were in the water for four days before a plane flew over and just saw these heads bobbing in the water, and they called for a rescue ship. And I, I was reading an interview of how one survivor, how they made it. And he said, you know, on the first day um, we were in the water, that's when the sharks came. And we would try and stay together. But inevitably, somebody would, they would fall asleep, floating in the water. They would drink the salt water and they start seeing hallucinations. It only, took an, it only takes an hour after you start drinking salt water to... Uh, re, you know, reduce your thirst for you to start seeing hallucinations. And uh, he said, inevitably, somebody would drift off. And that's when you would see their head disappear underwater. And then you'd see their life vest come up. The sharks would get them. 
The sharks were getting them when they were drifting off alone. But when they stayed together, they had a much better way of making it through. Now understand, almost 600 men didn't make it that day. But the ones that did, they did so by staying together. On the second day, this individual, that was, I was reading his interview, they found weapons crates and ammunition crates that they, they bound together to create a raft. They stayed together. They stayed together. That's how they, that's how they survived. They stayed with one another. And too often we get into this drift pattern where it's not necessarily willful disobedience. I mean, that's, that's an easy example, willful disobedience. We can identify, you can identify when somebody turns away from God, right? When they start going to sow their wild oats and doing whatever they want to do and they ignore everything that they know that they're not supposed to do. Those are easy to identify. But you know what's hard to pick out? And it's, thankful it's not my job. Is when somebody just starts doing this and backing slowly away from what God has called them to do. It's hard to recognize drift. It's easy to see somebody that does a 180. It's easy in our own life when we can see a 180. Drift is hard. You know, the image that God gave, this, gave to me of this, and this was as I was praying, it used to be years ago, church was the hub. Think of a bike. What's in the middle of the bike? You're, you're, it's you're, the nut that keeps it all, the axle there. And around there are spokes, right? And the spokes all split off the center. Years and years ago, that used to be the church. Now, church is a check on a list. It's not central to people's lives. Is it that people have turned away from God? No. They're still getting there once a week, twice a month, every other month visit. But really, when we read the story of Israel in Nehemiah chapter 9, what happens? They get to coasting. Everything's pretty good. And then they get to tragedy. And they say, God, I need you again. The reality is we always needed God, isn't it? We always needed God. And when we see the generation here in Nehemiah chapter 9, when we see them lamenting and standing with sackcloth and putting dust on their head, they were lamenting. They were lamenting the drift of the previous generation. They were lamenting how the previous generation had wandered away. They were trying to, they were, they were correcting the drift. That's what they were doing. The lament of the current generation was caused by the wandering of the previous. You remember, I've said this before. I said, I talked, when we talked about Deuteronomy chapter 6, what one generation tolerates the next one embraces. This is why I value children's ministry so highly. This is why I value all our ministries. But I have to tell you honestly, 
Uh, children's ministry is one of the most important things we as a church can do. Youth ministry is a close second. 80% of the people that come to know Jesus do so before the age of 14. 90% of the missionaries currently serving in the Assemblies of God world missions were called before the age of 12. What one generation tolerates, the next one embraces. If we want to rescue the future of the church, this generation, my generation, your generation has to set the example. We have to show people what a life of love looks like. Otherwise, our children will have the same lament as the people of Israel here in Nehemiah chapter 9 when they said, this generation wandered. And so look how far we are from God now. Here's my question to you this morning, and I just want you to listen. I want you to listen. My question is, does the word of God still move you? The people were listening to Ezra read the law, a much more restrictive law than we're under today because we're under grace, aren't we? But he read the law, and what did they do? They recognized how far from God they were. And so this morning, I wanted to read some verses. I want you to meditate on them as I read them to you. I want to see, do, I want you to think, does the word of God still move me? John three sixteen. it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 18. says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in, his inner, in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, may have power, power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. And then Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verses 16. And 17, it says, The Spirit himself testifies within our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You realize how significant that is? Co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. And then jumping down to verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither present nor the future nor any power, neither the height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God should inspire us to stay connected to God. And here's the question. When was your last genuine, intimate moment with God? When was it? Because the people of Israel turned away from God when they got comfortable. When they got comfortable in those moments. When we get comfortable in our relationship with God, what we do, what we do is we turn. Maybe not quickly, but we start to drift. We start to drift. Really, the thing we need to remember is that God has called us to more than just what we see in front of us. God has called us to continue to repent daily. What did they start with there in Nehemiah chapter 9? They listened to the word of the law be read to them for a quarter of the day, six hours. And then for six hours, they confessed their sins. Here should be our posture before God. It's in Luke chapter 18. Jesus is talking. Starting in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. How do we prevent the drift? The best answer to the drift is found in confession and worship. Never take for granted the relationship that you have with Jesus. Never take it for granted. Keep it fresh. When was the last intimate moment you had with God? If the only time you're spending time with God is on Sundays, you're missing a whole lot that he wants for you. 
God has so much for you. And each time that the people of Israel turned to God and said, we need your deliverance, what did he do? He delivered them. The encouragement I have for you this morning is this. God wants to spend every moment of every day with you. Every moment of every day. Just as the men on the Indianapolis survived by staying together. We as a church survive by being joined in his spirit. In unity. And we worship him with all that we have. We don't make our relationship with Christ something on a checklist. We make it to the hub of our life. And everything else is a spoke off that hub. Because when Jesus just becomes something that you check off a list, we all skip to-dos every day, don't we? Jesus wants to be intimately involved in every aspect of your life. Let's give him that time. Let's give him that time.